0: Welcome everybody to Break Your Bubble. Elias here. My co-host today with me is Solu, and we're so happy and excited to be doing this podcast with you guys. This will be our second podcast, so we're really excited to get this going, keeping the momentum going, and. The podcast that we'll be doing for today is on the election which just happened, Um, you know, which you obviously know if you haven't been living under a rock. We know that Trump has refused to concede. He let slip on Twitter, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, that Biden won because the election is rigged, but made sure to um, correct himself and say that uh, he is not conceding. Republicans have not some Republicans have you know, gone with Trump and say he has no, no um, reason to concede, there is fraud, and some, some people have called on him to concede. And so this is kind of an unprecedented, sorry, unprecedented time in American history. Um, so before, that's kind of just the background. Hopefully, you know, you guys all know that. Um, but before we get into uh, sort of the nitty gritty, uh, Sola, do you want to introduce yourself? And then if you could introduce our four guests for today.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Hey, everyone. I'm Solu. I'm one of the co-founders here at Break Your Bubble, and I'm very excited to get this started. Um, So, yeah, for this podcast, we got two people from the Brown Dems and Brown Republicans, you know, to try and bring you guys a very balanced conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to let our fine guests to uh, introduce themselves. So, Ryan, uh, how about you? (laughs)
2: Which Which <laughs> oh. oh,
1: I just forgot, we have two Ryans on this thing. Okay, uh, Ryan George, uh, uh, go ahead.
3: Yeah, absolutely, thank you so much Solu. Uh My name is Ryan George, I'm a senior uh, and I'm from the, the College Republicans. Um, I've been a member of the College Republicans since my freshman year in 2015 and uh, I've really enjoyed being part of the community uh, at, at Brown. I'm studying philosophy and economics and uh, I, I love these these conversations with like, where we get get people from both sides.
0: Ellis, if you want to go next, since you're next on my screen.
4: Yeah, sure. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Ellis. I am a sophomore at Brown from the um, Brown Democrats. Um, and yeah, I also love um, conversations like these. Always um, interested to hear how people are thinking of things across the spectrum. So it should be a really great conversation. Right.
1: Dope, dope, dope. All right. The other Ryan.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Handel. Thanks for having me on today. Um, I'm a junior studying public health and English. I'm I'm i I've been uh, with the College Republicans for two years. Currently serving as the social media chair. And like everyone else here, I'm excited to have a great discussion between both sides today.
5: Hi, I'm Morgan. I'm a senior at Brown studying public policy. I'm the vice president of Brown Dems and excited to unpack this election.
0: Great, 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 great. So uh, we can we can really just get right into it. Um, So the first the first question I wanted to ask you guys really is is more of a personal one. I kind of just wanted to get you guys a sense just just get into your minds a little bit of how you guys, you know, were operating on, on election day and, you know, the days after. Like, what was going through your mind? How you reacted to it? How was your mental health? You know, that's, that's super important. Um, so any of you guys can go. Uh, if, you know, no one wants to go, I'll, I guess I can choose one of you.
5: <laughs> I can start. Um, so I had a pretty interesting election day experience because I was a poll worker here in Providence, Rhode Island. I was also a poll worker during the primaries in September. Um, I really decided to sign up for that because I usually make calls on election day, but know that they really needed some young poll workers here in Providence and also wanted to be in the polls seeing what's going on. And I think that gives me a really cool perspective on this whole conversation of fraud that's going on in the national media. Um, It was an exhausting day. You have to get there at five in the morning. I didn't leave until 10 at night. Um, and it's, it was really hard being there all day, trying not to look at my phone um, because there was really nothing I could do about the results coming in, um, but I did have to be there until 10. And I kind of just remember going to bed really early because I was gonna have to wake up the next morning for work and not knowing any results and being really scared about what I was gonna wake up to the next morning.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. That's actually, I actually didn't know you were a poll worker. That's, that is a really, you know, cool experience that you have. And obviously, like, like you said, gives you a unique perspective on sort of this whole, this whole fraud thing that's going on. Um, Well, that's supposed to be going on. I don't want (laughs) to take any, any sides there. Um, Ellis, if you want to, if you want to talk about that after, since you are our second Democrat.
4: (laughs) Yeah, cool. Um, So, yeah, the election, just going into the election today was just such a mind-boggling experience. I guess to back up a little bit, um, this has been a very high-octane season for me. I'm the Speakers and Events Director at um, Brown College Democrats, and so we had been building up to this moment, having speakers and events from all Um, Just all different types of politicians Rhode Island and um, nationwide who really tried to get our brown students like energized and um, educated about what was going on on the Democratic side. Um, At the same time, um, I'm a I'll probably concentrate, I guess I'm a sophomore, so I haven't declared yet, but I will probably concentrate in international public affairs and um, urban studies. And so this election and all of its ramifications were all that we'd be talking about in my classes. And to top it all off, I actually was organizing on the um, Michigan campaign for Joe Biden and Democrats up and down the ballot. Um, So even though I'm in Providence right now, um, I would be remotely um, for a few hours every day, um, calling into Detroit, doing these different meetings um, to and um, planning different events whenever candidates would come in It was really, really exciting um, but very very like busy all the way through like august September October, um, and finally on election day so I just felt like my life was all consumed up until the election with the election. And so once it actually happened, once we actually got to election day, believe it or not, I felt as though I had like very little to do. Um, Brown, um, for those of you who don't know, um, actually gave us a holiday um, for the election, which is something I personally think that we should have um, federally to make it just more accessible for people to vote on election day itself. Um, But that meant I didn't have any classes. Um, We didn't have any Brown Dems events that day. So I didn't really have anything to plan for on election day itself. And with the campaign, we had kind of a final turnout push, different calls to make, but it wasn't as um, haywire as actually the days beforehand. So for me, election day itself actually felt kind of underwhelming. I was just kind of like, well, we're here. It was a beautiful day in Providence. So (laughs) let's wait and see what happens. It would then be the successive days of not knowing the results (laughs) that were my stressing (laughs) time. So um, yeah, but election day itself was kind of nonchalant. It was actually really interesting. No,
0: that that's no, that's that's a really cool perspective. And I actually, I don't know, Morgan, are you on campus? Because Ellis, if you, if if she's not, I don't know if she is. I mean, you can answer, Morgan, real quick.
5: I'm off campus.
0: <laughs> okay, so so Ellis, do you like? How was the vibe on campus? after or sort of in the in the in the preceding not preceding succeeding days of yeah
4: are all of you not on campus right now I'm not on campus yeah wow okay so um as the voice of people on campus it was very strange I think there definitely was this collective sense with everyone um, who like I would see over the next few days. So just kind of disbelief. Um, but it, actually, Providence had kind of an Indian summer that week. And so it was kind of weird. It was like 70 to 75 degrees every day that week in early November. So, um, and sunny and nice, people were generally kind of in good spirits because of um, the weather. But everyone who I saw, they were like, can you believe we don't know the results um, yet as Wednesday turned into Thursday, turned into Friday, turned into Saturday. Um, And I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this later, but by Saturday there, once it was finally called on Saturday, you saw in a lot of parts of the country, those um, huge celebrations and um, just people taking to the streets in either happiness or um, you know sadness, depending on their side. Um, but I will say it was actually kind of subdued at Brown. I was kind of surprised that w- once it was actually called, um, you know, I, I don't know if anyone saw this viral video out of New York where um, someone like opened their window and did just a panorama, and you could hear like everyone honking in the streets and screaming and. Um, just within minutes. And at Brown, it was actually kind of quiet. Um, I went with some friends downtown um, Providence, like over by the State House, that big green. And that was the closest thing that there were to people honking and celebration. But I think Brown itself was kind of above um, the fray. People were kind of surprised, but, you know, it was midterm season (laughs) going about your business, I guess. So, yeah.
0: No, I definitely feel that midterms are definitely kicking me in the rear end. Um, uh, Ryan, Ryan. Ryan George. I, I I want to call you guys Ryan, but, you know, we do have to, we do have to distinguish. So, Ryan George, um, if you want to talk about your experience real quick, that'd be, that'd be great.
3: For sure. So, uh, the, the pandemic, the pandemic gave me the unique experience to, to be able to vote in person on election day for the first time in, in six years. Um, so in, in 2016, I wasn't able to vote in person. I was, I was living in, in outside the country at, at that time. Um, and, and it was interesting, it was an interesting experience. I went during the lunch hour after one of my classes actually was held on election day, unfortunately. Um, but I, I, I went during the lunch hour after class and there were five poll workers there waiting only on me. I was the only person in, in my precinct. Um, to 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 vote during that time slot. So, I got I got a lot of attention, um, and 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 it was it was a good experience. I, I felt like it was an, an overall good experience. They had the markers down uh, to to enforce social distancing, and and I, I felt like at least in my experience, it was it was good. Um, one of one of my friends messaged me uh, before the results started coming in and asked, you know, which network I would be watching. And I, I just responded that I'd be watching everything, um, and that that really was what election night was for me. Um, we had, you know, I had I had CNN on my on my laptop, I had Fox on the on, on the big screen, and I had the New York Times, uh, you know, their analytics on, on my phone, um, and then participated in a couple different group calls with uh, with, with different groups that I'm in at at Brown. And all the group messages were, were, were going, were, were blowing up. So I stayed up basically the whole night after, after the election, just watching the results come in. And it was interesting. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot to talk about there with, with the way that the results came in in the different states. And, and, you know, I think that a lot of the problems with especially the way that, that many on the right have viewed the election since then is, is, a, is a function of the way that the different states released data um, during, during that night. And so I, I think that, that that's definitely something that, that we need to address in, in
2: future elections.
0: The other, Ryan, if you wanted to go ahead um, and share your, share your experience.
2: Yeah, so I voted a long time before Election Day this year, about a month before Election Day. I actually spent this semester living in very, very upstate New York, basically in the wilderness with two guys from Brown um so we're pretty isolated safe from coronavirus um but it was an interesting experience so yeah we voted i voted remotely um by mail and uh I, and we and we actually despite me being generally as as you can see by, by by my being here a political person i tried to get away from things on election day i went with one of my housemates and we like climbed a mountain and that was how we spent that day um just trying to take our minds off things And um, the funny thing is, it was kind of a weird experience for me this election night, because I didn't really have a rooting interest, because actually, I'll I'll let you know that I didn't vote for either Trump or Biden, despite me generally leaning to the right. Um, I voted libertarian, and I wasn't even enthusiastic about that choice. Um, Yeah, and like I said, I generally lean to the right, but um, Trump's... uh, comments about not being willing to commit to a peaceful transition of power as well as his poor leadership during the COVID pandemic kind of dissuaded me from voting for him. Um, So it was very weird for me on election night because I was definitely stressed out, um, but not because I was rooting very heavily for either Trump or for Biden, but because I was just generally stressed out about the fate of our country. Um, So like Ryan, uh, I stayed up super late on election night just to see what Would happen. I knew it'd be a historic moment either way. And it ended up not being too much of a moment on election night, but it was stressful nonetheless. And, you know, I was constantly paying, checking my phone every five minutes to see what the results would be all throughout the week until they finally called it.
1: Yeah, I will say that you are not alone in that. Yeah, many of us, I would say that I was also doing the exact same thing. And also, can I say, good for you. Like most people, like on election night, like the first thing that they comes to mind wouldn't be to go climb a mountain. So um, I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, honestly, really good for you, I mean that. So, all right, so yeah, you guys had very good, sounds like you guys had um overall positive experiences on election nights, or at least very interesting ones. So now let's get a little bit more political. So right now, as it stands, you know, as Elias alluded to, Biden is the projected winner. He is currently leading by 292 votes. I think the only state that's left is Georgia and he has a commanding lead there with roughly 14,000 votes remaining. However, you know, President Trump has refused to concede this election, um, mostly on the basis of fraud. He is, um, yeah, currently right now has lawsuits in Georgia, Nevada, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, basically saying that fraud has been rampant throughout this whole entire elections process. And because of that, Trump and many other Republicans have refused to concede. So my main question for you guys is, should he concede? Are the claims of fraud valid or not? Like, how are we supposed to interpret that? And, you know, Morgan, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you are a poll worker. So I feel like, you know, your um, perspective would definitely be uh, helpful to this. So.
5: Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. Um, so I guess just going really granular and talking about what my experience was. Um, when you're poll working, you definitely are being thrown into a situation. Um, I wasn't the moderator of the poll, which means like the person running the show. But my moderator was definitely not the most experienced person. So we were all bumping along and learning how to do it. Um, That's all to say that there are such specific guidelines of what you have to do. And I'm talking obviously about Rhode Island, every state's different, um, that there's checklists, there's one, two, threes on everything. Um, It is really, really made to be the most foolproof thing ever that it's really hard to screw up. Um, And also you do have to sign, I think I signed like 20 things throughout the day. different checklists. I had to sign all the ballots. We had to do double counting, triple counting, and all these things. Um, And that's basically to say, just like going against this narrative that it's like this really broad system that things are all over the place. And I think that it's really easy for Americans who have never really thought about what goes on beyond the polls. I mean, it's a pretty impressive feat. What we do is we count these hundreds of millions of ballots in a short timeline with technology, and we have thousands of poll workers all across the nation. And I think that's a really impressive thing to do. But because there's so many people, there are these implications of like, oh, there could be bad actors in there. And I think the biggest thing is that there's so much accountability in what we're doing, I could be held liable if there was anything um, that was wrong or something like that in the polls. And there's people who can be held liable who aren't even getting paid for poll work in some places. It's just volunteering. Um, it really, really is a process that there's so many laws and there's so many boxes to check and all those things that mixing up votes or any kind of fraud is so, so minimal. Um, I think that just going generally nationally I think that we knew the president was going to do this. He made it very clear he was going to do this before the election. Um, I am not the least bit surprised that he is doing this, and I'm not the least bit surprised that the other Republicans in leadership are following suit. They have been doing that since day one of the Trump administration, no matter how wild or crazy his claims get or how dangerous, especially in terms of the pandemic, um, they've been following behind him. And I think that social media platforms and other news sources are really feeding into this, um, as social media does. It's a great place for conspiracy theories to go wild. And that's not to say that this election went perfect. I'm not going to say that there was no fraud, because I'm sure that there has never been not a case of fraud. The biggest case of fraud I can think of was, I think it was North Carolina in 2016. 20- 2016 or 2014, um, when the Republican candidate actually forged a lot of mail ballots there, and that was a big deal then. Um, so it does happen. But to the scale of changing a presidential election, no. And more importantly, I think that anyone who is interested in politics or has a stake in this country knows how important democracy is. And I think that's the first and foremost thing that the Republicans and who are encouraging Trump to not concede are really right now just throwing away our democracy. And I think he should litigate in the courts. That's his right. But to really just make blatant claims that are being disproven again and again in these federal courts as a way to undermine our democracy is the most un-American thing that he could do.
2: Yeah, I was, I've actually been a poll worker in, in the past as well. So I can back up some of the things you're saying. I was a poll worker in the 2018 midterms. Um, and one, thing I, one, one key thing that you didn't mention is that when you, at the end, when you organize all the ballots, you have to have a Democrat present and a Republican present um, as like the, the, the chief of the vote polling site. And so the funny thing was, um, a, a short funny story is that I was the only Republican at my polling site. So despite being 18 at the time, they promoted me to the, chief, the, the poll chief because they needed a Republican poll chief, um, which was also nice because I got a pay raise. But I did have to stay till the end to go alongside the Democrat poll chief and count everything. So the point is that it's pretty hard for one party to purposely commit voter fraud in uh, in favor of the other when both parties are there observing what's going on the whole time. now, that, like you said it's not that 's not to say voter fraud is impossible, and I actually do think it's a little dangerous to say that voter fraud is impossible on the presidential sale because I do believe it is now and like you said if if trump um if Trump truly believes that this election has been stolen from him and that there's been widespread voter fraud enough to flip the election in his favor, then it, it should, he should go for it he should litigate and he should go take to take it to the courts um but it's kind of like a, a sort of show me the money kind of deal. He keeps claiming all of this, all this fraud is present. And I'm here patiently waiting for him to show me the evidence. And I just haven't seen it yet. So um, if, if he's being dishonest about it, then that is dangerous to democracy for sure. For sure. If he's being honest, then, then I don't think it's dangerous. And you should take whatever steps you can. The truth is, I don't know. Um, whether he's being honest or not, but I certainly consider myself skeptical.
4: Yeah, no, going off of what both of you said first, I love the um, like the poll worker <laughs> anecdote because I never knew that, like about how they counted with the Democratic or Republican oversight or, um, and I've always been mystified as well with how they count um, with just how ballots are counted and how elections are safe. I think, um, you know, no matter what other issues one has with this country, I think one of the few things we've never questioned is the integrity of our elections. Um, and we may not like the outcome um, every once in a while, or however often we don't like the outcome, but um, I think it's one of the like few things that has just never really been questioned is that um, when you vote, your vote counts. And um, like that's just always like been a hallmark of, how I've understood um, American democracy. Look, I'm a partisan Democrat. I was upset in 2016, but I did. it wasn't an upsetting, it, I wasn't upset because, oh, Donald Trump stole these ballots from Hillary Clinton. No, no, Donald Trump got more votes in the states that he needed to get more votes in than Hillary Clinton, plain and simple. I think the same thing happened in the reverse um, this time. And I really do believe to sit there and act as though that is not the case as though there is this widespread fraud when we know in across all 50 states. Uh, The New York Times just last week did an investigation calling um, election officials in all 50 states and like a bunch of counties um, and not a single one said they'd seen anything of voter fraud. The voter fraud that we've heard over like the last few years, Morgan pointed out that North Carolina um, congressional district race um, where the Republican forged like the ballots in 2018. Um, I remember in either 2018 or 2016, there was a postman in West Virginia who was um, convicted because he took six mail ballots um, and tried to f- and flip them from Democratic to Republican somehow. Um, and so I do think there are questions that we should answer about the integrity of our elections, like making sure they're more and more secure every time. But to act as though ballots are getting changed and um, all of these like much more widespread macro um, things. I just don't think it's, I just really don't think it's true and right. I mean, I just got a breaking news update um, that um, the president has fired the um, Homeland Security official who kind of backed down on him for about widespread voter fraud. I think it was the um, director of the, um, yeah, the director of the Cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, um, because apparently this was the highest level person in DHS who said there just was not widespread voter fraud. I agree with Ryan. There can't, there could be voter fraud, like going, like, at any point, like, I don't think that it's likely, but I don't think it's impossible. But I think to act as though it happened at a huge scale or really at all, um, this, um, like this cycle, just, is disingenuous now look i don't think i i'm one of the few people in kind of like my echo chamber that um doesn't think um the president has to concede um right now i i i don't think there's anything in the law that says he has to concede if he doesn't want to concede you know so be it what i do think is um inappropriate is to act is to live in denial and act as though he didn't lose. He doesn't have to concede um, you know, formally if he doesn't want to, but to hold up the Biden transition um, as a result to like really damage our national security um, and our kind of domestic and foreign interests really putting all of the lives of everyone who lives in this country at stake, I think it's grossly irresponsible and I'm um, discussing and I do think that while the Republican Party um, can back him up and say you don't have to d- concede if you don't want to, Stacey Abrams um, in Georgia famously didn't concede because she didn't think that it was that the election was conducted um, fairly. that didn't stop um, that the person she ran against from becoming governor and I um, Donald Trump should not be in a position to stop Joe Biden from kind of addressing as president-elect the things that he needs to address in terms of you know, transitioning, making sure there's a seamless transfer of power. And for elected Republicans to enable um, him to do that is I think really just damaging, not just to our democracy, but to our day-to-day lives as American, because there will be gaps um, come 2021 that when we look back we might be like oh (laughs) we should have had a seamless transition of power look at um they say looking at 2000 because the transfer of power was delayed because that election was so litigated in the courts that there were things there was intelligence coming out of um Saudi Arabia and the Middle East that foreshadowed 9-11 that didn't get to the Bush administration in time because of how long that transfer power was delayed, it looks like this one will be delayed even longer unless someone convinces Trump to concede without conceding. So he doesn't have to concede if he wants, but he needs to open the gates for um, Biden to come in. That's my thought on that.
3: Yeah, uh, just, to, just to add very briefly, I mean, I, I think that it would be naive to, to say that that the vote counts that, that we see are 100% accurate in all cases, right? I mean, whenever you do a, a recount, you see two or 300 votes, uh, vote swings. I think that, you know, you see, th- there have been a lot of examples of small amounts of voter fraud in, in the history of the United States. So I, I think that whenever there are examples, um, credible examples of voter fraud, I think that it's in the in the interest of protecting democracy to you know try to root those things out, do I think that there is enough evidence of voter fraud in this election to make any substantive difference in any one of the states absolutely not I mean I don't think there's been any evidence presented um, that, that that would suggest that outside of just circumstantial evidence um, I do think that that there I do think that I'm a big pro- proponent of federalism. <laughs> I, I love, you know, taking things back to the states. I think that local government is the best government. Um, I do think that that the way that that the the, the states handled the the election, um, you know, led to a lot of the concerns that that, that you see um, circulating on on social media. Um, and so I I think that that what we can take from from this election is 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 that we need to do something to to try to prevent um misinformation from 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 starting. Uh, I think that we need to do things to 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 innovate and bring our uh election system more 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 into uh you know the 21st century and I I think that that a standardized system would would probably be helpful in doing so. I mean I think that that one of the problems, right? You you see states like Pennsylvania counted mail-in ballots after a uh, day of uh, ballots, whereas you saw, you know, other states do the opposite. And so if you're an uninformed voter, if you're someone who's casually watching these things, you might not understand exactly why, you know, Joe Biden might be catching up in some places and overtaking Donald Trump. And you might not understand why the opposite is happening in different places. And I think that that leads to a lot of confusion um, and I would love to see that, that rooted out. In terms of whether or not Donald Trump should concede, I mean, there's no legal obligation for him to come out and you know, say, I concede. Um, I, think that, I think that his publicity campaign um, about uh, <laughs> voter fraud, election fraud is, is ridiculous and has zero merit. It doesn't help anything. Um, I do think that you know going to the court and I think that addressing any reasonable grievances is something that that 's good for America. Um, I think that you know standing uh, in front of the press and declaring that, that you 've won the election is is irresponsible for sure um, and I think that that you know, you, you 've already seen uh, many prominent Republicans um, say that they do think that Joe Biden should continue to receive. Um, you know, national security briefings. And I think that's something that as time goes on um, will become more and more popular. I generally am very optimistic about the future of democracy in the United States. And I don't think that this will have, um, you know, a catastrophic long-term effect on, on, on our democratic processes. I do think that it's unfortunate. And I think that there will be many, you know, upset Trump Republicans that will leave this this election with a sour taste in their mouth and not not feel like like it was conducted properly. But I mean, in 2016, there were many Democrats that had a sour taste in their mouth and thought that you know Putin had had somehow made Donald appointed Donald Trump as as president of the United States. Um, I don't think that those two situations are exactly comparable one to one because Hillary Clinton did concede um, and, and and Donald Trump is not. Uh, I'm just saying that I think that there are always going to be people. Who are upset by the results of, of an election.
5: I do right. want to I, say nope. quickly, I know that we've talked, sorry, Elias I know that we've yeah. we've spent a lot of time on this issue, but I do think that it's really, really important because voter fraud has really dominated the media and a lot of our thinking. That to me, a lot of voter fraud protection laws can feed right into voter suppression. And I think that is the much, much bigger, more consequential story in America. The fact that millions of people are disenfranchised, whether because of felony convictions, because of not having a state ID to vote, and because of all these other different barriers that we place on voting. And I, while I think talking about voting fraud is definitely important, especially right now, um, with the president claiming like widespread fraud, I think that it often eats into our understanding of our system of voting as really inaccessible to a lot of Americans.
3: Just as a one, one sentence, you know, response. I I think that, I I think that it's going to be extremely hard to reduce either one of those levels all, all the way to zero without compromising on, on the other. It's type one and type two error. It's, it's a statistical problem. And I think that, you know, um, that, that's a conversation that would be very interesting to have but but uh, uh, probably much longer than than we want to, to spend on it i mean i mean you guys both bring up like
0: really really good points like how like ryan i i actually wrote this down while you were talking um but then we can get to sort of the voter suppression that morgan talked about right after um how because we know about 50% of the country voted for Trump, about 50% voted for Biden, like obviously it's a two point swing. And a lot of Trump, I don't wanna say all, but a lot of Trump voters believe the president, they get their, you know, they listen to his tweets, they listen to his press conference, and they believe that, you know, this election is stolen. You know, you go on Instagram, it's, it's right there, right, right for you to see. Um, so how, I'm curious, do you got, like, how do we assuage I hope I pronounced that right, assuage fears, you know, um, from, from the right of fraud, fraud, because it's definitely not good. I don't think this is a debate. It's definitely not good if a large section of your population that voted thinks that their votes didn't matter. Um, so like, I, I get the sense you guys don't think there are drastic changes we need to make to our voting infrastructure on that front, but like, what do we, what do, we do about that?
3: I, I would say in the short term, I think that the damage that President Trump has done um, you know has has already been done <laughs> right he's already claimed that he's won the election he's already claimed that there's been massive amounts of voter fraud, so I think that the only way to to really remedy that is to allow the the processes in the in the court to play out and to give them you know a large amount of uh, of coverage I, I I realize that that's like probably not. <laughs> What we would want to do, because it feels like you're giving credibility to a conspiracy theory. Um, however, he's the president, as, as you said, Elias. He he is the current president of the United States, and millions of people believe what he said. So I think that the only way that you can really overcome that is to 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 prove it, to to prove that that his claims are not are not true. While the burden of proof should be on the other side, I think that it's important that just for unity to try.
2: Yeah, and. The, the people that are going to be litigating this process are most likely the Supreme Court who are overwhelmingly conservative and three of whom Trump appointed himself. So if they, uh, if they say that Trump has, did not win the election, then I think that will do a lot to tell his supporters who's in the right here, because most, like, mo- a lot of these people will not listen to someone on the left But if a conservative court, again, with three members appointed by Trump, tells them that this is the result, um, they're going to be inclined to listen, I believe. I also think that there's, you know, you have to break up the,
4: like, the echo chamber into like different categories. Like, I do think that on, you know, both sides, there are there 's a certain sector of um, people who will just never believe that um, Donald lost this election um, you know and I imagine that there i, I don 't know that many, but I imagine that there are people who just didn 't want to believe that he won it the first time <laughs> on the left um, but and so the people who don 't believe that um, the people who don 't believe that um, the president lost this election they might not be people that um, can ever be convinced. I do think, I'd like to believe that there are a lot more people who are just misinformed right now. Um, And that's where the left, the new president, President Biden, um, once he becomes president, um, kind of meet them where they are. You know, I'm sure this is kind of controversial, but, Maybe part of the new president's media strategy and the new vice president's media strategy is to engage, um, is to go on Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and make parlay. What is it? Parler, par um, parlay accounts, um, and just par-lance, like maybe?
0: <laughs> parlance, is maybe parlance, maybe no, 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 no,
4: there. no. It's a it's P A R L E. I thought it's parlor. Parlor. Thank you. Parlor. Um, right, I'm done. It's a, <laughs> it's, a new, it's a new social media app um, that is. Um, gain that has a lot of traction and like um on the right broadly but just in general like it's growing really fast um you're really just meeting people where they are and trying to reduce um the echo chambers um, that we're finding that we like find ourselves in like like breaking your bubble i think that um the that the new administration even though like i said it is kind of controversial because it does feed into this idea of a conspiracy that shouldn't be like what Ryan George was saying, like shouldn't um really be given more fire to. But um yeah, we should definitely have um definitely having outreach to people who might not hear about it otherwise. That might be the only way to break into um those people who can't who are just misinformed, not just completely in denial.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um I mean I feel like we could talk about fraud and Trump and and conceding, you know, <laughs> till midnight, but I, I, I kind of wanted to shift the conversation to sort of um broader trends that you know we saw in the twenty 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 election. Um so, so just some just some stats and some highlights for you guys. Uh in terms of demographics, you know, white men obviously they voted for Trump, major the majority of them sixty-one to thirty-nine. Um women voted for Biden fifty-seven to forty-two. So that's that's you know, <laughs> A huge swing between. Actually, I said white men, so that's not quite um, that that dichotomy there. Um, Latinos, actually, um, especially in Miami-Dade and um, Texas, you know, you saw increased voting for Trump. Um, minority men, largest share voting for Trump as well, and and Republican women, actually, a lot. Um, there were at least I'm reading this right now at least 35 Republican women expected to join um, the 117th Congress, up from 20 up from 22 in 2018 and of course you know um Kamala Harris the the vice president elect will be the first female um and first black female uh uh president um so i just i, I kind of want to sh- shift the conversation to what what are your takeaways from some of these broader trends you know apart aside from all this you know election brouhaha about <laughs> fraud and and conceding what not
4: yeah i'd love to um hop in here i think it was a really fascinating like election backdrop that I don't think we ever really got to properly unpack because we're so used to getting the results that night and then like the rest of the week we're unpacking these demographic terms. Rather we had to wait until like Saturday to get like the big acceptance speech moment and the demographic data is still kind of coming out as we speak like I mean, exit polls, because so many people voted by mail, like, you know, me, Ryan Handel, um, Morgan, you, I don't know if you voted by um, mail, but like, because so many people voted, absolutely voted by mail, like the traditional exit polling like is off um, this year. And it's just really hard to figure out where these trends are. But I think it's overall really, really fascinating about like the micro level um, shifts. Like some of the things that you mentioned about the about like these minority skews, um, especially in, like Miami-Dade, Um, like the Rio Grande Valley, like these minorities, um, like pushing um, towards Trump, like people kind of being surprised by that. I know I was surprised that the largest single demographic shift um, on either side was actually the, it seems so far based on the data, it could change, like as they continue to correct the data. Um, But so far, I want to say it was a seven-point swing in white men from Trump to Biden. Trump still carried the majority of white men, but I was surprised that that was the single um, biggest shift, and every other um, shift was less than seven points. But you're right, there were um, some really interesting um, demographic swings that I think all point to the ridiculous amount of turnout um, in this election—that was, I think, really, really cool. Where, um, when all is said and done, I think we will have passed 160 million um, total voting in this election. Um, like once, like all of the ballots are counted. Um, and that would represent um, something like 67, 68% um, turnout, which, you know, would love uh, for America to get even higher than that. But our peak turnout before this as a percent was, I, um, or I guess in modern times as a percent, was like high 50s, low 60s, something like 2008. And this far exceeded that. Um, and what you saw, was sure a lot of really amazing young turnout, people of color turnout. Um, I know coming out of Michigan, like um, the um, massive surge of voters coming out in Detroit is what like kind of saved um, the Biden campaign in Michigan. Um, But that, and you know, the same, we saw that in the Atlanta area in Georgia, like um, lots of um, high democratic turnout. But I also think it's kind of been slightly ignored thus far, and I think we definitely need to look at it um, a lot more, is that um, the president was really, really successful in Republican turnout. Like, he got more Republican, he got the largest number of votes for a member of the Republican Party, like, ever. And I don't think enough people have really thought, like, about that thus far. Um, I'm really interested into, as to like how um, he did it. I think part of it is kind of being the face, um, not even the face, just being such an active campaigner for like all of the last four years. I think his message was just always out there. And when you really look at where like these massive shifts in shifts came out, it's that, Um, You know, 200,000 people who didn't vote in um, 2016 came out in Miami-Dade County and voted overwhelmingly for um, Donald Trump. Like, thousands of people that didn't vote in 2016, um, like, came out for um, Donald Trump in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, And it didn't seem as though there was a lot of support that shifted from, like, Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump, although I'm sure there was some. Um, And... It looks like there was a little bit of shifting from like people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 or voted third party in 2016, um, shifting over to Joe Biden. But what it really looked like was two supercharged um, electorates where there was just a sl- um, like a four or five million larger democratic turnout. So, I mean, I think it's a really interesting like puzzle that we don't know all the pieces yet. And I think it'll be really interesting to kind of dive into it and what it looks like for the electorates going forward, once we really know what happened.
2: Um. Yeah. Uh. I. So you mentioned that despite Trump losing, he got the most votes ever for a Republican candidate. And so, well, the when I looked all through all the results of this election, not just presidential, but all the more minor races, I thought it was overall a really big victory for the Republicans. Um and i thought that the that many people include many people including from the results it looked like many people including myself were willing to not vote for trump but go republican down ballot and um and yes yeah, so we saw that we saw that play out and so i think that the election results are not a condemnation of republicanism but a condemnation of trumpism and um i i personally think that's a good thing um and that we can hopefully, as Republicans, get out a better candidate in 2024. But on a broader scale, um, in terms of the demographic trends, I think you saw a lot, in terms of a lot of Hispanics turning uh, turning red, I think that, I wouldn't say that Joe Biden is a socialist, but that's a policy that many Democrats ascribe to, and Joe Biden does have a D next to his name. And so when you look at a lot of these Hispanic people, many of whom are immigrants from socialist countries or um, descended from immigrants from socialist countries, those policies are a huge turnoff. And that flipped a lot of people, especially the high Cuban population in Miami. Um, So I think that was a big factor in um, making the Hispanic vote um, more Republican this time around. Um, In terms of the rest of the minority vote, I mean, we all know that there were a lot of divisive issues regarding race this summer. Um, and while some people on the left really took the Black Lives Matter messaging in stride and um, became enthusiastic about supporting that, I think that there are some other people who maybe, no, I wouldn't i wouldn't say denied racism, because I think we can all agree that racism is still present in the US. But they, I think that some people may have felt like they were getting talked down to that, you know, they still feel capable of achieving what they want to achieve in the U S and felt like some of the messaging was suggesting otherwise. And I think that may have caused some of the shift in the minority vote. Um, I can't, I I don't know these for sure, because I'm not these people. I don't know what, um, what caused them to vote for who they did, but that's just just some of my speculations. Um, And in general, I think these trends look really promising for the Republicans in 2022, 2024. I think that if we just keep moving ahead, and move and moving ahead with the times and some issues such as climate change and LGBT issues, where I think the Republican Party still has some some catching up to do, um, if they can catch up with those issues and keep going on what makes them strong, like the economy and individualism uh, i think I think that it looks like a really bright future
5: i actually I think I like what you said about that with. The Republicans had a good night because I agree with that. So I work with the um, Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, which just means that I worked on state-led races this cycle. Um, And Trump, I think something that was really unexpected and honestly probably unexpected for a lot of Republicans, too, was he lifted the tide on Republicans, Um, I think a lot of people thought that Trump and his rhetoric, as you both mentioned, um, it turned you specifically Ryan off from voting for him, among other reasons, thought that he would sink the Republican candidates down the ballot, and he really overperformed at the top of the ballot and brought a lot of those Republicans with him, which is why that Democrats were not that successful, especially in state led races and in house races. Um, And I think that is something that's going to have ramifications for the years to come. Um, Where I disagree a little bit is you saying that there's a strong Republican base there going off the economy and catching up on climate issues and LGBTQ issues. I would love to see that. I think that would be great. Um, But unfortunately, I think that Trumpism, whether he's on the ballot in 2024 or not, is such a motivator in the Republican Party. And I think the proof of that is just his overperformance in this election, but also how willing a lot of top Republicans are to bending to his will and his base's will, that I am worried about the future of the Republican Party um, because of that. I think that the primary in 2024 is gonna be really interesting because I think you're gonna have a lot of Trump you might have Trump, first of all, Um, and you might have a lot of Trump Republicans versus these Republicans that you're talking about who maybe think more, um, I don't wanna say progressive, but about LGBTQ issues and climate change and other issues that I think we would all agree on here today. Um, But I'm worried that that's not gonna be what it is um, and that it's just gonna keep following this model that he has proven to be successful on? I,
3: I, think, it, I think from my perspective, it, it might be a little bit too early to, to project into what the Republican Party will look like in four years. I think there's a strong unifying force in being the minority party in, in D.C., and I think the Republicans have generally done you know, very well, <laughs> especially in recent history, as the opposition party. Um, I was, I was rooting for, you know, uh, divided, <laughs> divided government because I don't really feel represented by either party's uh, current platform. Um, and so I was, I was hoping, you know, that, that we would have some kind of division so that neither, neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden um, would be able to, to, to go what would, in my opinion, be too far um, in, in either direction. And so I'm very happy, you know, with the with the results that that Republicans um you know seemed to do well at the state level especially in this election when it was very important to do so. I think that, you know, it was it was I, I think I think that things turned out exactly as as I would have hoped. Um I think that one of the reasons why you had such large turnout in this election has to do with you know this <laughs> this uh hyper intense rhetoric from from both sides during the last four years. It seems as though you know uh, Donald Trump you know turns a lot of people off and it seems as though the response was was so extreme so as to make it seem like you know anyone who supported uh the the president or even you know didn't support him but voted for him um was 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 a morally abhorrent person (laughs) and and I think I think that that does a lot to stoke division and I think the division you know will 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 lead to more enthusiasm if you think that you're fighting against a a fascist (laughs) you're going to get a lot of people to go out to vote and if if you think that the other side thinks that you're you're an awful person um you're going to go out and vote and make sure that your voice is heard now do I think that that's a positive um a positive thing for American uh, democracy? No, I, I, I think that the division that's been created or maybe not created, but uh, exacerbated by the rhetoric is not a positive thing. I also think that if you look at like the past four elections, you've generally had you know, 50% of the country vote for Republicans and 50% of the country vote for Democrats. In this election, the tipping point margin the number of votes, the minimum number of votes that Donald Trump would have needed to win will end up being somewhere between seventy and 90,000 votes, which is an absurdly low number. It's going to be, um, it's
2: going to be less. It's going to be closer to 50,000.
3: Yeah, and, and that's that's a crazy, crazy low number when we talk about such a large turnout. Like, you talk about, you know, it raining in a few states could have changed the election, right? And and that's that's what I think that we're seeing during my entire lifetime you've had races that are so close and and i would just love for for all of us to try to to be more understanding of the other side to not stoke all this di- di- division with our language and i think that both sides has been have been you know very very uh culpable of that <laughs> and 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 i don't think that it's a good thing you know especially when you have so many people on both sides
1: yeah you know i wholeheartedly agree with that you know especially since that's the entire purpose of break your bubble which is to you know to
3: say <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. i was about to say ryan 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 with that quick advertisement for break your bubble in podcast i
1: appreciate <laughs> that no but go ahead so yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Couldn't have said it any better, really. And that's honestly a perfect way to close up. We could literally talk for hours about this topic. Like there's so much I wanted to go into. Like Morgan made a really fantastic comment earlier talking about like, you know, voter ID, voter suppression, what that means, or what Ryan George was just talking about with um, rhetoric. But yeah, I just want to thank you all. Um, Uh, for taking the time to talk with us today. This has been a really fantastic podcast. I enjoyed hearing all of you speak, learning about all your individual different experiences. I thought, I think we learned a lot. Thank you guys again. I hope you guys have a very blessed rest of your day and uh, see you guys on our next episode.
0: If you didn't catch our last podcast on COVID, please catch that. We're really proud of that. And that was our first one. And please don't hesitate to give us feedback you know we we are a new podcast um, we would really appreciate you know sending sending us emails or i think the platform we use anchor allows us to allows you guys to send us voice messages which are which are always nice so so please 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 listen to those podcasts and thank you for listening